Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent audio show that's going to be about as pretty today as Farrell Monk stumbling out of Pop World Cardiff at 6.15am on Saturday morning. My name's Sammy James and today we're going to rant, we're going to rave about Saturday's appalling display by Fulham at the Cardiff City Stadium as Fulham took their goals against Halley to 25 and dropped into the relegation zone. Uh, here to break down Cardiff is the aforementioned Farrell Monk. You all good? Hello. Your performance was disgraceful on Saturday. Oh, thank you. It'd probably be better than Callum Chambers. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Maybe a bit more than the 2.2 as he got on the Fulhamish website. Uh, a man who's far too dignified to delve into those kind of antics, Drew Heatley. Uh, I think Farrell was averaging about 2.2 points an hour on the uh, all three <laughs> Saturday. Maybe even higher at some points. Uh, and a man who's considering ditching Fulham for a full-time England-supporting career, it's Don Betts. Hello, hello. Every word of that was true, isn't it? Yes, uh, pretty much the international break now. I mean, you went from an away day at Sevilla, where England won 3-2, to an away day at Cardiff, where we lost 4-2. European tour, as I say. <laughs> uh, so, Dom, you're in charge of secretarial duties today. Uh, let's do some three-word reviews from Saturday's 4-2 defeat by Cardiff. Uh, we're going to Instagram for these. We've got D Collier with Chambers is crap. I mean, you can't really argue with that. He was an absolute pony. So, I mean, yeah, obvious one from Simon Coop, chaos in Cardiff. Okay, yeah. Good and what, we'll go for lo- we'll go for one last one. Lime Street, utter shit show. I've got to say, like these uh, these three word reviews that have been chosen are reflective on the person that is. Yeah, uh, I, has, I believe has been so selected. as well. If it was Jack on secretarial duties, there might be a bit more finesse about them. No, but mate. Blunt, no... straight to the point. Man, shit, I'm... crap, fuck, whatever we're gonna. <laughs> there's put no in finesse there. in it. It's toe punt all the way. <laughs> and definitely gonna have to mark this podcast as explicit. <laughs> so Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. Let's get into Cardiff. Um, Drew, I'm going to start with you. Got a question here from Chris F, which is quite simple. What do we do now? Okay, well, for a start, we don't play uh, two central defenders at fullback because that's not going to help the situation, uh, as we saw with Callum Chambers. But uh, what do we do now is an interesting question, and it's something that is broached in an article I saw today in the I paper by a chap called Louis Dore. I read this. Very good. Very good. Very good piece. Uh, you know. Okay, so some of the stuff we know already, like we're vulnerable on the counter. Fine. But interesting points that he makes. We can't cope with uh, with any sort of aggressive moves inside the box. 22 of the 25 we conceded have been inside the box. Now, is that a lack of composure? Is that a lack of designated responsibilities? Um, and he's talking about, obviously, our, our full-backs making these uh, attacking moves, and that's the way that Slav likes to play football, which leaves us sort of at risk on the, on the counter. And there's an interesting point about our lack of aggression. Six yellow cards uh, in the whole so far this season. Um, we've conceded two penalties against Brighton, but they were both... Uh, they weren't particularly sort of risk-taking fouls, right? So there, there was one was a handball. One was a ridiculous handball. So all of these different points that he's making sort of obviously highlights that sort of Stuart Gray being sacked or being let go. Sorry, uh, being the absolute wrong move. But do we relieve our fullbacks of these attacking duties and sort of can we play for a midfield? Is that even is, is that something that we can even work for us? Something needs to change in this next game, and, it's, and basically to cut a long story short, it's about more than just 
the lineups uh, switching the back four, you know, in nine successive games. Well, I mean, it was a desperate day in Cardiff. Another bizarre lineup from Zvisa. Four centre backs uh, along the back four. Chambers and the Marshon at fullback this time. It's the ninth different combination. We are on course for the full 38, and part of me does want to actually see it happen. Um, Johansson and McDonald played in midfield. I love Slav, but where was the sense in this lineup? We were all in the pub, Farrell. A little bit drunk and very perplexed when we saw this lineup. It was another case of Slav Bingo, and we've been talking about how much more consistency we need across the across the back four or five um, for a number of weeks now. And we thought that it was going to settle, and all of a sudden he just lays that bomb on there on uh, at Saturday two o'clock, um, and it it just shows that the, the the confidence is low. There's confidence not really there across the the, the defenders and especially across the midfield. One thing that really struck out for me that really didn't help for us that yes we had still sixty percent possession of the ball but you know there was no conviction even when it comes to short five five ten yard passes there was it was kind of dribbled to each other and just let Cardiff you know get into their get into their rhythm get into their shape and we couldn't really break them down as much as we could and therefore whenever they did win it back high up the pitch which they did uh, quite a lot that they were able to get behind us and. Um, I read that article too, and he talks about how they were able to sort of get past our back line and um, and the disarray of our defence just made it really easy for them to play around. And it was nothing that really Cardiff were doing spectacularly well that, you know, it was just hard work. It was just endeavour. They just got in and around us. They they picked they they tore us apart when when we didn't really play the ball with enough conviction the amount of times that we were trying to play the ball out the back and i'm i'm a you know i think that fulham do really really well at playing the ball out the back and i'm not saying let's stay, change that style of play because that's what we're actually good at but the amount of times we tried to play the ball out the back and they were able to cut it out really really effectively and it just meant that we were caught up with the, uh, caught up with too many players trying to play the counter attack and just caught out position so many times one of the goals came from from that and we'll go on to it a bit later but there was three or four more occasions during the um, second half where we managed to defend, uh, block block a shot or defend it quite well and then we tried to sort of play it out and they just cut it out and the pressure came again and it's, it just wasn't working on Saturday, on Saturday. I mean, Fulham, for me, were looking in disarray from the first whistle, Dom. And, and Andre Schoeller's goal is exceptional and, and I'd love to watch it over and over again, but it papered over the cracks of what was to come. Well, yeah, I, sp- I spoke to Gordon Davis yesterday. He, t- he said Slav's picking... <laughs> Name a- drop. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's, he says he want, Slav's playing a system he wants to play and not playing a system that's suiting the players we've got. And that makes perfect sense when you're playing four centre-offs um, in a back four. And what also doesn't make sense is also we played this three at the back system against Arsenal. We thought, OK, we, play, we played relatively well in that system. I think it suits the players we've got playing them in their correct positions. We've got a lot of pl- centre-backs who are comfortable on the ball. There's three slots there. You've got our full-backs can't exactly defend very well. They'd probably do well in the wing-back positions. We've got midfielders who've got the legs in the middle of the box. And I think what I, ju- what I just don't understand is what did he do in, in the international break? I don't understand. He didn't. He clearly didn't work on something because you need. He thought. Oh, there was, there was not positive tape in the after game, but you could see there was a shining light in that sort of system we were playing in the first half. We were totally in the game, and he just didn't work on anything. He put totally, totally new system again, and I, ju- I just don't understand what Slav has done in either international break so far. What really surprises me was the fact that he, what, out of all of this, and you're quite right in saying that what was he doing in that in that international break. That what was he doing putting Callum Chambers out on a right kind of right wing back position? Did he not see what happened when he when, when he played for Arsenal when they played Swansea? 
you got yeah. torn to pieces there. He's not a right back. He's just a, he's just about a capable championship level centre back. I don't understand what the what went through his head. And he's as I said, he's not picking a team that's suiting the players we've got. I know Cyrus Christie did not have a very good game at all against Arsenal, but Cyrus Christie is a right back, mm-hmm. and yes. He got caught too far up the pitch a lot of the time against Arsenal and that was the big problem because he was told to mark Nacho Monreal in a quite bizarre move from Slavisa. But at least Cyrus is a flipping right back. I mean, well, Callum Chambers just looked like he just that isn't his position. Well, at half time, he brought on Mawson and took off Chambers and put Adoy at that right wing back position. And lo and behold, it was, a, it was so much better against Josh Murphy. I mean... Oh well, we're putting a right wing back in a correct position. I mean, why, why even even bother trying putting Ch- Callum Chambers there? Who rabbit in headlight stuff every time Josh Murphy got the it ball. It was it was an uncomfortable first half to watch him. I was uncomfortable watching him. Not in terms of the fact that oh, you know, he's having a bloody nightmare and we're shy. It was it was watching a professional so out of his depth in a, in a particular level. We know that Slavisa is quite a political manager in the Benitez-esque mould. He's not if he's not happy with things with signings and things like that, he'll make a statement. And I wonder whether, you know, the fact that he's playing for centre centre halves at, at at the back and putting those uh, putting Marchand and and Chambers at fullback positions, whether he's saying, look, you know, you didn't get me the 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 fullbacks that I wanted uh, in the summer, maybe. Well, I mean, also also one point is a lot of the players we signed, they have been good for us, but we didn't need to sign them. They, it's like when you go on football manager and they transfer listed or loan listed and see who comes up and I'll like, oh, put a little bid in for him. A lot of the players we signed, we only signed because they became available in the market, not because we sort of scoured them and wanted them. In a lot of like, really, there was no links to Fosu Mensa, no links to Luciano Vieto, who two arguably have been two very good players for us this season. It's just the transfer policy was quite odd in the summer. It started off relatively well and then it sort of just we were signing anybody and anybody who became available who had decent reputation and I think. It's it's showing that Slav clearly doesn't know who can play where because he's playing everyone in shoot positions. And the thing is, McDonald, he's a great holding midfielder, but if you're going to use him, he can't end, he can't get out of his own half. If you're going to play him in the Premier League, he has to literally sit in our half and defend with with the defenders because if he pushes into the other person's half, they're just going to get in behind us really quickly. And Anguissa, I thought legs. Legs could have been used. Yes, Johansson. He, he, he probably Johansson. It was probably one of his better games he had this season. To be perfectly honest with him. But yeah, I, but still wasn't good enough. Exactly, and it's just I just I don't understand why doesn't why doesn't he know that he can just, can't just pick a team or pick even pick a system. He hasn't even picked a system yet. Well, that's that's my biggest problem. And also, is the time to experiment a six pointer against Cardiff? Is playing. Callum Chambers at right back who you've never played at right back before the time to do it or is it just time to go back to basics a bit and play players in the positions that they're supposed to play I mean Lamarchon played at left back and actually kind of Fulham got away with it because Lamarchon didn't make too many individual errors but moving away from Slavisa uh, Ryan O'Donovan and guess what Get West London worked out that 20 out of 25 goals we've conceded have come from individual mistakes Slavisa can't be culpable for some of what's happening on the pitch. I mean, you say that, but I think a lot of the times Slav's tactical instructions is the is the cause of a lot of the errors that defenders are making. Because Adoy may not have had a lot of mistakes that have led to goals, but he has made a lot of mistakes losing the ball in the opposition half. Whereas if you look at someone like Maxime Lamarchon, I think they mentioned this in the statue last week, yes, the mistake he's made le- led to a goal, but defensively he's probably been our best defender. And I think what I, what, what I don't understand is, yes, you can't, all bl- put all the blame on the manager for defensive mistakes but as I said a lot of the mistakes they're making is down to the tactical sort of ineptitude of Slavisa you look at look at the first goal right uh, Chambers was the it was one of the individual areas that uh, Ryan pointed out now 
Chambers makes that mistake because he's out of his depth in the position that he's played in the system. That's he's also too high. Yeah. So there's, there's a bit of both, isn't there? There's, you know, I mean, at the pitch, not. <laughs> <laughs> people, people will question that. But he, he, he is in that position and he's making that mistake because of the way he's been told to play by Slavs. So there's a bit of give and take on all of it, I think. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, yes, there are, there are individual mistakes, but if you look at those, those ones in each sort of situation, I'm just going to take that Callum Chambers one again. Slavisa has decided to play, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was playing sort of a right, kind of playing a right wing back position. And he was high up the pitch. He's not really an intricate kind of player like, you know, Ryan Cessnion who's been playing on the wing or Vieto or Schurler, who's an intricate kind of one-two kind of player. Um, and that's where he was. That's what he tried to do. He was high, in the middle of midfield. He tried to play a, a one-two with Schurler, which was, I don't know, 10 yards away from him and then didn't get back into position because he's not used to being caught up the field. He's not used to playing a bad ball and then having to track back and get behind Josh Murphy. And likewise with, and I think Adoy has to have some blame here. When the ball breaks down and Sol Bamba's got all the time in the world to pick the ball out, uh, ping the ball out to Josh Murphy, Adoy is nowhere near him. And that's where sort of like a wing-back system kind of works. If you look at England, and usually when they play Carl Walker in that right uh, centre-back position, he always covers across whenever one of uh, uh, Kieran Trippier is all the, all the way up the field. And that's happened, that should happen on each side. And yet it just didn't happen because these players aren't used to playing in those kind of positions. Adoy, although is a c- capable centre-back usually, uh, or a capable right-back, in a sort of right centre-back position, he was really caught out there as well. And it would be really unfair just to just to pinpoint this on Callum Chambers. And again, it should be, you know, the, the, the blame does have to lay, lay with the manager here. But... You know, I didn't think the players really covered themselves in justice because, yes, they are a talented group of players. We do know that they're a better team than, uh, you know, per man, better than Cardiff. But at the end of the day, Cardiff, I know I'm, I know that did come to bite me back. I, as you I enjoyed really t- pointing out on Twitter on Saturday. I know. Slight regret, but also it was quite funny after after all. And, and, if you and, haven't seen the um, the state of Farrell's mentions uh, <laughs> on Twitter, it, it is an entertaining five-minute read. I mean, you did kind of reap what you sow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was. It was hilarious. <laughs> you called them talentless frauds. <laughs> <laughs> not. Not the people. Not Cardiff themselves. Not the actual people tweeting me back. But you know how how it's going to go. But oh well, I'll take it. Um, Sessegnon became the first player after two thousand to score in the Premier League. It's a shame that such an accomplishment has been overshadowed by Fulham playing so badly. And and he was one of the few players to come out of the game with some credit in I mean, my eyes. You say few. I'd say one. I don't think anyone else... I mean, Mitrovic didn't get the service, so you can argue it that way, but I think Session was the only player who seemed to be trying in the game. Well, weirdly, it was all st- uh, set up by uh, Callum Chambers, who won the ball yeah, by exactly. on the pitch. Yeah, exactly, and it's just, I mean, we, to be <laughs> fair, but both the goals we scored were very nice goals. Wait, hang on, didn't Mitrovic set it up? Well, he won the ball on oh, the right wing, yeah, which was mean. an awful... I can't remember who played, tried to play it out to him, but it went absolutely nowhere near him. Very, uh, dare I say it, very Sessegnon-esque, trying to nick the ball away from the fullback and play a one-touch pass into the striker. Lovely little flick by Mitrovic, by the way. Yeah, I'd love to say it's one fire being put out in a, of a multitude of fires, but without getting the whole of Cardiff on my back again, it was Cardiff, and it was almost the same sort of Cardiff team as we had last year. So to say that Ryan Sessegnon's adapting to Premier League might be a bit premature. I, I'm, I'm, you know, of course, being a bit silly here, but, you know, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it wasn't exactly as if it was against Spurs or United. But the last three games... Fulham have been level at halftime. And we've somehow managed to lose by a margin of quick maths nine goals <laughs> in the total of three games. I mean, what is Slav doing at halftime? Well, clearly not what he was doing last season. 
Cause yeah. it was in, or in the last two seasons, because we've been quite strong in the second half of games. And obviously, it was obviously the first five, ten minutes of the second half. But this season, it's like, oh, we do really well after the first ten. We get stuck into the game up until half time. We're fun. And then I'd, he probably, I'd, clearly, is not saying anything at half time, or is saying something, saying, oh, you don't matter. The game's done. Because I just, I don't understand how you can be that bipolar between the first half and the second half it, I know this game we were just terrible for the whole 90 minutes but if you look at the Arsenal game in the first 45 minutes we were good mm. Like we, we, it, was, it was basically even, even Stevens in that game and, again, and, against, and against Everton we were by far the better team in the first half and the second half it was all, almost yeah the Sesson chance changes the game we mm. missed that and then we just seemed to be a totally, totally different side it seems to have changed our season there's a big question about the, the mental composure of a lot of our players so if you look at every time that we've scored almost to, almost to a goal every time we've scored this season we've conceded again within minutes whether that's in the same half or whether it's just after the break uh, we, there's, there's a composure issue there and I you know I don't know how to fix that but and is that something that you can blame Savisa for? Whether you're not does this high, time? Sorry, does this really highlight the importance of Tom Kearney to the team here? I mean, the I mean, it, he is really the huge difference in massive amounts of quality in between those two teams. Yes, we've got some talented players in this team, but Tom Kearney has been missing now for three games. But wouldn't be saying would we be saying that if Mitrovic was out? Would we be saying that I think the difference. If was I out? think the difference is that we know you know Sherlock. I know Mitrovic is, is key. I'm not saying he isn't, but there's no link between our midfield and the attack at the moment. It's just sort of, the ball gets into the likes of Seri or McDonald or Johansson and Greece, whoever, and then you've just got the three forwards. There's nothing sort of linking the two. That's why when I did the sort of uh, what I started eleven was Seri playing as a number ten with McDonald and Guisa in, in behind him because there needs to be a link between the midfield and the attack otherwise it doesn't work because it's not like our attackers are ones who are going to drift back and pick the ball up and then drift forward with it they're ones who are going to stick up front but need that link from the likes of Kenny or even if you're going to play Seri further forward and he, there wasn't that link in, ever since Kenny's been out and he's the real one that will pick the ball up at real under real pressure from a Gunnarsson from you know any one of those Cardiff players and shrug them off and pick a really nice ball out and relieve the pressure from the team when no one, really no one, was actually relieving the pressure from Cardiff when we were picking it up on the breakdown. I think you make a good point about game management, though, because Fulham got thrown a lifeline through Andre Scherler's Wonderstruck. It's an absolutely brilliant goal. It's, it's put us in such a strong position, 13 minutes into the game, whatever it is, and we're 1-0 up. We hadn't started that great, and, and, and Scherler's made something out of nothing. And Callum Chambers is then losing the ball up the pitch. Last season, we became very good at game management, and actually, it was a bit of a cliche to say that, oh, Fulham can't defend, but they can attack, and we concede loads of goals and score loads of goals. Because actually, in the second half of last season, we became specialists at winning 2-0. Yeah. And we would get 1-0 up and we barely gave teams a sniff of getting back into the game. And we used to see out games, we used to pass them into submission. Why didn't we do that against Cardiff? We could have, rather than Callum Chambers going on a gallivanting run all the way from defence through midfield and then obviously leaving Fulham exposed at the back, where, where was the calm head? Where was the leadership in that team to go, all right, lads, 1-0, Let's let's stay settled for the next ten to fifteen minutes and and frustrate Cardiff because their fans would have been on their backs. It was a it was a wonderful position to be in. And within ten minutes, we've not just conceded one; we conceded two and completely threw it away. Well, is that a captain's role? Is that an element of what Kenny brings to the side that we are necessarily underrating? I don't know. I also think people aren't seeing how actually we've actually got a pretty bad record against Cardiff. Away, I, I, but away, I don't but, really no, see. No, but I, th- I'm people, I'm, I think those. It is a point. But everyone sort of, oh, we won their 4 2 last season. They, and they forgot the, the previous three or four times I've been there, we've been absolutely diabolical. And I think I think people sort of underestimated Cardiff as well. 
just because they've got this terrible team doesn't mean they're a bad side. And I think, I mean, they have got a terrible side. There's, there's no, they've got a championship team. There's no, I'm not having it either way. But we play like a league. Uh, but one we side. have got a championship defence. Yeah, we play, we play like a league one side defensively in that game. And it was, off, but our record there isn't that good. And I think people sort of looked at the four two last year and saw, oh, we've been, we've got better. They haven't. But I think, obviously, I remember, I remember we lost there in thirteen fourteen. We lost oh, there. That in, was awful. Yeah. That was really was bad. That Lewis, that Lewis Holby scored for us. We lost two one or three one. Three one. Yeah. Metroglou's like only oh, start. Yeah, Metroglou and Woodrow up front. The glory days. <laughs> Bring them back. Um, Callum Patterson's goal. Speaking of uh, right backs out of position, um, scored the slowest motion goal. Of all time, I mean, Bettinelli. Come on, man. I'm I'm full on team bets, but he's just got uh, uh, a lot across the pitch. He's got to be doing better. But it was it a so horrible late. little goal to concede. He saw it so so late, like as well, and it just the slowness of it going into the net. And we talk about individual errors as well. Tim Ream had one of the worst games I'd seen in a Fulham shirt. He, him having a Fulham shirt for me, just just I don't know whether it's ring rust or. Or what? But we, you know, we were championing him as coming back and being that beacon in this four group of four strangers that is our defence. And it doesn't say a lot for that if he's uh, having a game like that against an opposition where he really should be thriving like he was last year. Kind of summed up the performance. I don't really, I, I, I do hear what you say. I don't want to criticise him too much because, uh, you know, the the second goal was probably he could have got that ball before Bobby Reed before it well fell to him. But the, it was the, the the fourth goal, which I do feel so bad for him because he does the thing that he's doing so well at, which is making some space and keeping the pressure on full, uh, keeping the pressure on the other team. And yet he just slipped at the completely wrong moment. Did well to recover and get a block in, but again, but Fulham had the... plenty of chances to clear, and yeah. that's what uh, Louis Doré kind of says in his article: is that Fulham just are not being clinical enough in the box and getting rid of the ball. Well, it was three up. We had three blocks in there, and every single one of them fell to another blue shirt. When you know, in other teams, it's you know we're trying to. If it was the other way around, it would have fallen to a blue shirt again. To coin a Sunday League expression, do Fulham need to want it a bit more? Yes, want it a bit more. Get the second balls all day <laughs> Don't long. Don't let it bounce. Let it know you're there early on. <laughs> but seriously, like, does there just need to be a little bit more aggression in there that, does. In that back There doesn't seem to be any desire in that defence. No. Well, to defend. Because there isn't any defending going on. Mm. They're sort of just fumbling about and just forgetting where the ball is, forgetting they can actually play football. Because the defending has been a joke. Like I, I've said it quite a few times this season, is a lot of the defending is reminding me of 13-14. Like, we're just shipping too many goals. Yeah. And that's the reason we went down in 13-14. We weren't a horrific side. We just conceded so many goals. Well, only one team has conceded more goals at this stage uh, of a Premier League season. That team actually didn't go down. It was Southampton, Southampton in 2012-13 yeah. uh, who had conceded more, uh, one more than us. And they won the league at that stage. year. <laughs> yes, they went on to turn it all around. Um, so it isn't necessarily a fatal statistic at this point that Fulham have conceded so many goals. And a lot of those, I think maybe 14, 15, have come against like Spurs, City and, uh, and Arsenal. But this one was the alarming one, wasn't it? And um, I don't know if you've seen Jack Kelly's fan cams and the reaction that's got on Twitter from the Cardiff Twitterati, which are far more vocal than I would ever have imagined. And there's a question there where Jack basically says Fulham shouldn't be conceding four to teams like Cardiff to paraphrase and he's getting a load of stick like teams like Cardiff how arrogant are you but he's just saying we shouldn't be conceding four to teams that 
are in the relegation zone that we perceive to be have a weaker squad than us. I don't think that's the most outrageous thing no, that's, that's ever been we said. We shouldn't be sending four four goal teams in and around us. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the point. Absolute, that's the, that's no, the point Jack's trying to make. And you, you shouldn't be because they scored four goals before the game. They doubled their season tally against us. Yeah, teams like Newcastle, teams like Huddersfield, teams like Southampton. Southampton, exactly right. And and. Uh, chips on their shoulder yeah of course Um, what changes then need to be made or is that the problem because we keep going on this podcast particularly oh well he was bad we need to change that defence have this player we keep doing our preferred 11 every week and it's completely different but maybe that's that's where the maybe like Slav needs to stick with a lineup, whether it works or not, just so that we have some consistency. I think you stick with a lineup playing players in their actual positions like, is, is that that hard of a concept to understand like, why are you playing four centre backs? Why are you? Why then? Then the midfield that you're playing then doesn't complement the attack or the defence that you're playing as well. It's just, it's. I just don't understand. He just needs to. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know the system he's going to play, let alone the players. He but has it, been hampered by injuries at fullback. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But and like the Fosu Mensa and Brian injuries, I would, you know, can't be planned or accounted for. And maybe the lack of depth in those positions is actually the criminal. Thing. Put it put it this way, right? We've always we've been trumpeting since day one. Sess is not a left back, right? But if you look at Callum Chambers on the first half on Saturday, he looks he makes Sess look like Roberto Carlos. Let's put the players who know how to play in that position in that position and stick with it until Brian and Fossey meant to get back. So if that's Christian Sess, that's Christian Sess. Whether it's a means to an end while we're plugging a gap. Yeah, but it's, you, you, you change it up if you, Idris, you then fit the, your team to a system that's going to suit the players you've got fit, like we saw against the Arsenal game in that three at about system. With the players we've got fit, that system is probably most suited because it puts Christie and Session in, 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 in four positions, but they're still the best players for those positions. I think it's where Sess is probably actually going to be best in the Premier League because you can make the late runs down. Then you've mm. all you need is you need two midfielders to sort of... You need one holding, which you can have the likes of McDonald's, then have, have legs in the likes of Seri and Anguissa. And I think you need someone in behind two forwards because then you have Kearney or even Seri can play that position and then you can have Mitrovic and either Sherl or Vieta behind him. Yeah. If you don't have... And you're not playing one of them, one of them can off the bench. It's not that hard to pick a system... That suits your players, mate. Yeah, I've got to totally agree there. I think the only way that we'll change the system up is if Kenny is fit. If Kenny is fit, we just play one behind and we just and we go back to playing four, four, two, three, one as what we're really good at. Apart from that, I think that at the moment that playing a wing back system is actually suiting us here. I think especially because it really utilizes um, like uh, Ryan Sessegnon, who is so key to this team now in a creative and defensive force that it's it's hard not to play him in that position. I'm quite happy to play him. At the moment, he's our yeah, you know, best attacking threat. But does, wait, do we need and to? And it go does actually open up Sherler to also, play in the yeah, more mid. What I'm saying is, also with, with you playing wing backs, it also allows Vieto and Sherler to play narrower. Yeah, which is where you want them to be. Their yeah. goals, their goal scoring threat, and you want them in and around the box. Um, there's been reports in the tabloids today about Slav having two games left to save his job. Now, I don't really believe these reports, although they were circulating quite widely earlier. Uh, James Brody on Twitter messaged, though, to say uh, West Brom, Swansea and Stoke all sacked their managers. How did that work out for them? It's kind of a fair point, isn't it? And at this, t- at this point, for anyone really to be saying Slavisa out, for me, is nuts. Yeah, I've got, I've got to agree with that. Um, I'm a, I've said many, 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 many times that it's just not looking at the long-term goal of just slack, sacking a who is quite clearly a very capable manager and has has produced results over and over again. You know, it is in the past, you know, two and a bit seasons, it has been our most successful period for a long, long time. And I'm still backing Slavisa as much as I've complained about the result on Saturday. 
He is the best man for the job. He knows the players. He knows the team. He's got results. I think the players do play for him. And it would be absolutely naive to, to sack the manager. As it has ne- as all statistics have said, sacking the manager doesn't really change much. And if it does change much, it's never usually for the better. And if it is, you're just a club that keeps sacking their manager when times get rough and then they just get rougher again. So I don't want to be that club. I want to be a club like, you know, here's a perfect example. Look at Burnley. Look at Sean Dyche. He had, they had a terrible first season in the Premier League whenever it was four or five seasons ago. They went down, they came straight back up, and now look at them. And their team has hardly changed. That's just all down to what they recognise as a good coach. And we've got to recognise that we have we have a great coach with us and we need to stick by him. Yeah, if you look at, if you look at the teams who've come from the Championship and have been relatively successful in the Premier League, are the ones who start with their manager. If you look at if you look at if you look at obviously Bournemouth's a great example of Eddie Howe. They've they've had him at the club for what six seven scenes. Something yeah, like that. Actually, actually, almost like ten or eleven. Ten? Yeah, because yeah. he actually he's the longest serving in English football now. Isn't he would he? be he would be a lot longer if he didn't have that like year at Burnley in between. Where yeah, he, he went to Burnley then came back. Really to Bournemouth. rogue it's move. Just, you isn't mean, it? You, what's the purpose in changing manager if you want to have the philosophy like Fulham fans want to have have this certain philosophy they believe at the club and if you keep changing the manager you don't get that. So you need to you need to stick with him, and yes, he's he's been pretty bad tactically and chopping and changing this season. But I think that's just got to do because he hasn't. He, we signed eleven new players or twelve new players, whatever it was. He doesn't he doesn't know it. But yes, he, he's he's definitely need to be criticised this season. But calling for him to be sacked is oh, it's, it's just it's just odd. I mean, it's not even November yet. Well, there's two problems as well. I mean, last uh, last time we went down, three managers, uh, absolute shambles. Like that, no consistency whatsoever. Everyone coming with their own different uh, styles, trying to bed in, and we're already talking about trying to get those players to gel. Uh, It's not. It's going to take even longer if you change the man at the top. And I don't know how much weight this has, but uh, MJG was tweeting about this earlier. Slav always has. He starts slow and then changes. Everything just clicks midway through the season. Uh, Is that going to happen again? If you look at the different. If you look at the amount of player turnover we've had in the last three seasons that he's been at the club, uh, it's almost no surprise that it's almost that, it, that is the case and it's happened every season. Now, will that happen again this season? I kind of think it will. And I think it was Ben who said earlier, like that player churn is going to slow as if we consolidate in the Premier League. And it's going then and then from then on, you've then got a platform with the uh, with the identity that we we enjoy uh, that football star that we enjoy watching because we all enjoy watching it. So if we can get it to click, then happy days. All right, well, we'll move on from Cardiff now. Uh, we're going to take your questions uh, in a little bit, but up next, uh, we're going to be discussing last week's news about Wembley. Fulhamish has teamed up with One Football, the only football app that you need this season. Uh, you can get it on both the App Store and on Google Play. Using personalised news feeds, push notifications and a user-friendly interface, OneFootball makes it easy to keep up to date with the latest transfer news, scores and stats in one central place. Check out the OneFootball app and let us know what you think of it. Hi, I'm Collins John and you are listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley. Hello. Farrell Monk. Hola. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. Dom just had a half-time Lucasade. I did, mate. I'm expecting big things now, uh, from now on in this podcast. <laughs> As if it's gonna, only going to get better. <laughs> Maybe that's what they should do to the Fulham team. Give them Lucasades at half-time. Give them Lucasade, uh, have a pasta salad. Red uh, Bull, Carabao, anything to keep them going in the second half. <laughs> Mars bar and a banana. <laughs> half-time oranges, bring them back. Yeah. 
Uh, what was I hearing not too long ago that Martin Keown used to have eight Mars bars at half time? Doesn't surprise what? me. <laughs> and about six coffees, judging by the intensity of that man. What a frightening individual. Who has eight Mars bars? I just don't understand. Like, if you paid me, I'd struggle to eat eight Mars bars it's in like also, a long... It's also a very overrated chocolate bar. I think. I oh, yeah, I agree with that. Also, what? does anyone remember oh. when Rio Ferdinand uh, ate uh, like a packet of Jaffa cakes during the game? Oh, I did. Yeah, I saw that. What, whilst yeah. playing or once he kind yeah. of got... No, well, as in during the game, the basically, someone called him over to the side, he ripped open a packet of Jaffa cakes and munched them all within about right, that. 30 seconds. My God, that just doesn't sound healthy at all. Oh, I saw somebody drink a Yazoo once as well, just chocolate milkshake. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yazoo, throwback. Uh, right, do check out the Fulhamish fan cam, uh, which is up now with Jack Kelly. Uh, speaking to fans outside the Cardiff City Stadium. You can watch that on the Fulhamish YouTube channel. Uh, just search for Fulhamish on YouTube. There's going to be an On the Road filmed by myself. I know, hashtag bring back Dave Preston. Bring back the Preston. Yeah, bring back Peston. Uh, Peston. 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 Robert, Robert Peston. I think he'd do a very good On the Road. <laughs> be a bit too much finance uh, for oh, me. I'm, I'm bang up for that then. <laughs> Robert, Robert Peston On the Road. Uh, no, so do check out my On the Road. It's going to be up tomorrow, hopefully. But obviously, it won't be as good as David Preston's. We no, all, you, don't, you don't beat Dave. We all know that so before we go on to your questions uh, just a little bit of discussion uh, about the Wembley sale um, kind of all kicked off on Wednesday Thursday last week Shade Card withdrew his £600 million deal to purchase the National Stadium from the FA uh, just be interesting to get some of your thoughts on the effects it might have on Fulham uh, the effects that it could potentially have on like things like the Riverside project uh, just generally your thoughts in total, of course, he's a man that has plunged a lot of money into Fulham since since he purchased it uh, well, five, six years ago now. From 2013 God. summer. Sorry. Yeah, five, five years ago um, from Mohamed Al-Fayed. A bit of a blow to Shade Khan. Uh, Drew, do you think that there's any potential repercussions to to Fulham, more, which I'm most concerned about, to be perfectly honest? I would suggest... Uh, probably not. I think when uh, Khan bought Fulham in 2013, I, I don't think he had any eyes on Wembley. Um, I think obviously NFL has been tied up in, in his grand scheme of things uh, and what he wants to do in this country. But I think it comes down to whether you trust Shahid Khan as a man and as a chairman. And I do trust him on both of those things. Uh, and I don't know whether I'm swept up, swept up in his rhetoric when he talks about being the custodian of the club. Uh, but I just I trust in what he wants to do. And I believe that he wanted to, you know, we know why he wants to buy Wembley. He wants to buy it for the Jaguars and he wants to buy it for expanding the NFL in the UK. Is he going to move Fulham there? Was he going to move Fulham there? No. But I never thought he was going to move Fulham there. But part of my worry, and I wrote an article about this last week, is that, you know, Khan has a grand plan. Khan has a grand plan to have the perfect dual ownership arrangement. And that is by... You know, owning Fulham, redeveloping the Riverside stand, you know, with all the extra benefits that are going to come um, from increased revenue. Uh, there was potential that, you know, the Jaguars might stay at Craven Cottage in some of the flats. I heard uh, when when the plans for that came out, when they, when they come over to the NFL and then owning Wembley. He kind of had this grand vision. And part of my concern, and, and maybe maybe I'm being a tad overdramatic about this, is that... For Shahid, is it an all or nothing situation? I can't have Wembley, therefore, would I potentially not invest in the Riverside stand? There's no there's no basis to this. I'm just trying to do the maths here and work out where Shahid's end goal is. This has got to be a massive knockback for him that it hasn't worked out. Uh, he wouldn't have gone so public with it all if he really, really didn't buy into it because there's no benefit to him of not the, of the sale not going through, after all. 
Um, and I don't. I personally don't think that there is a link in between this Wembley purchase or proposed Wembley purchase and and Fulham. I, d- I just don't see, considering all the Riverside development, considering what he's actually saying. And I do. To- I, d- I do agree with Drew that, that 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 rhetoric that they are separate things. He believes that um, Fulham is is, is his one thing and, and Wembley and everything else that goes with, with Shahi Khan and all his investments is a totally different thing. And I do buy into that um, whole sort of thing that he's buying it to try and protect a lot of things. He's buying it because it's such a you know huge asset and it's got massive value. And you know it's not just the Jaguars thing, but it's also all of the um, events and all the concerts that go with it as well. It's m- such a money, money spinner. Um, I do believe that it was a good thing for both parties that the FA sold Wembley after all because you know they're there to run football they're not there to to run events after all and it probably would have made sense for a sale but after all I think that I think the negativity that kind of surrounded it whether it's justified or not probably would have made Shahi Khan's reputation suffer a bit um maybe it's a bit short-sightedness from from certain pockets of, of football fans around the country that perhaps that there was it, you know, FA and the and football of of England would suffer somewhat because we didn't own the national stadium. I, I think that's kind of mis, misguided. I can understand it to a certain extent. Can you see? I'm I'm I was reading some comments on um, a BBC article earlier about it, and and the lack of knowledge in this subject mm-hmm. was absolutely infuriating me, as if. <laughs> But I'm just, like, I can, I can under, I'm saying I can understand it, but I don't agree. I certainly don't agree with it. I just don't think anyone would notice if Shay Khan owned Wembley. It's not going to make a difference to anybody's life in the slightest if someone else privately owns Wembley I, Stadium. I think this is like, I mean, not to get drawn on too too much. If it was a British businessman, I think it would be slightly different. Also, if, it was, if it was someone, if it was someone British, and it was someone that owned Wigan Athletic or someone like that, I don't think people would care. The I think ludic- the fact the I think it's a foreign ownership thing. Is that yeah. it's only been owned what by the FA since the what the nineties? Yeah, yeah ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety nine. And they only bought it to demolish it and rebuild it. it. Exactly. And also what as an England fan, I don't the whole idea of having a home stadium is not a massive appealing thing to me. The best atmospheres you've had at in games recently has been the ones that's not been at Wembley. The ones at Ellen Road, the ones at the King Power Stadium. And and also it, it's the idea of having a home, uh, international home stadium, is just outdated now. No I one like, has one. I like the fact that we have somewhere really prestigious where FA Cup finals, League Cup finals are held, and you know the Euros are going to be there. And it gets a lot of criticism, but it is still a remarkable stadium. It's absolutely huge, and I loved the fact that Fulham played there for the playoff final, and what a day it was. And we all remember how great Wembley is. But yeah, as you say, for England games, you know, travelling the country is not that bad a thing. And some England games will still take place. Yeah, no, the, the, the idea was probably have all the qualifiers or competitive games like the Nations League at Wembley. But if you can yeah. have friendlies, like the, the USA friendly being at Wembley on a Thursday night, that just doesn't interest anyone. If that was, let's say, I don't know, at the St. James's Park, you get mm. 50,000 or 40,000 Geordies turning up. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas now it's like £30 a ticket for an adult ticket mm. for, for USA on a Thursday night, which is tough for anyone to get to anyway, unless you live in northwest London. And I, it's just, and also, what 
the whole idea of grassroots, oh, the FA would have put this money into the grassroots football. One good thing of this of this proposed sale is it actually brought the problem of grassroots football up. Because mm. if, if, if Shane Card had never had any interest in buying the ground, no one would be talking about, oh, we need to invest more in grassroots football. And people were coming up with ludicrous suggestions in this article. You know, not ludicrous, but idea. What, they're coming up with loads of other ideas and ignoring the big, fat idea in front of them that's going to have actually no negative impact on themselves. They're saying, oh, you should just charge agents 10%. Oh, because agents are going to sign up to that like in a heartbeat and not challenge it in the courts for the best part of a decade because they're going to lose 10% of their income. You know, clubs already, I think, give 3.4% to grassroots. They contribute billions to the tax, to paying tax, you know, in, in this country, they're not going to exactly sign away more of their income than they need to, whether they earn tons. I even seen someone suggesting that players should donate some of their wages to grassroots football. Again, what agent, what player union is going to agree to that? And also, in, all the England players really donate all their wages to charity anyway. Yeah, they do. Right, yeah, exactly. So you tell, you, you, you could, people could probably argue, oh, you're basically taking the money away from the charity then. From from Khan's point of view going forward, he's got a win anyway because he's pulled out uh, in a magnanimous way. He's he's highlighted the dissension among the ranks of the FA Council and the NFL is a cash cow, as we said. There are going to be other Premier League clubs with uh, elite-level stadiums who are probably going to want to speak to him at some point. Hmm. Um, not, not necessarily to sell the ground, but to talk about any sort of deal that can get them uh, a little slice of that big old American football pie. So he's not well, yeah, I, don't if, I, don't I, I have was... I have zero issue with NFL clubs sh- ground sharing with us as long as our, all our home fixtures are going to stay at Craven Cottage. I don't think Craven Cottage pitch is big enough. Well, no, but I'm just, you know, just saying out loud, yeah. you know, just... The just... Touchdown, any touchdown will also be in Hammersmith. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. One landing in H3 when they yeah. score a touchdown. No, what, one, one but, also you know, think, think about how much money there is yeah, involved. No, I, think it's something, I don't know if it's the ticket sales or if it's the viewing figures, but it's gone up 40% this year. And that's only going to keep on going because it's getting bigger and bigger in England. I mean, I think it's just it's just yeah, I just, it's, it's surprising. But again, it's, I think it's from the FA Council who I think Greg Dyke described as an old boys club. Yeah, and because the FA what the <laughs> FA because the FA the board of the FA were all for this sale, mm. but the council, which is again something that's totally outdated, and it, it seems needed. like the FA is equivalent of the House of Lords. Given but basically, yeah, that's what the FA Council is, and it's just it's it's ludicrous because I mean the FA, I mean what you you. FA would have got this money, but you know, again, people complain that they're not putting the money in the right place. So I don't, yeah. there wasn't really anyone who could have won here. But as you said, no one would have noticed any difference. Yeah. And, and especially, and, especially from a Fulham point of view, I think that's one thing that if we are talking about Fulham here, it would the sale if it purchased or it did, it's not going to happen now. But I don't think it's going to make a difference to Fulham at all. I think that's the one thing that we, you know, we've kind of not pretty much laid that to bed by the fact that apart from the first couple of sentences we haven't mentioned them at all well there has been dialogue between the FST as well and the club over the sale Uh, and on Thursday's podcast uh, we're going to hopefully speak to Tom Greatrix who is the chair of the FST uh, and get a little bit more info potentially on those conversations uh, that they had with the club about Wembley it's a little bit of a moot point now but I just wouldn't be surprised if it raises its head again and also I did wonder you know is Shahid withdrawing a little bit of a play and it, it is like when you're bargaining for something at a market and you walk away going, nah, now nah, you're all right, I won't buy it. And then suddenly he comes back running down the road and offering it for you for the price that you initially wanted. Well, again, it kind of raises Shahi Khan's profile. And again, it raises the profile of Fulham and it raises the profile of of the Jacksonville Jaguars as just, well. Just, and increases 
uh, NFL's interest in Just England. wait five years for the for the FA Council old dogs to die and then we'll get it through for 500 wow. mil. Exactly. <laughs> Dark from Drew. Let's move on to the questions before he goes any deeper with that trail of thought. Um, Dom, what's coming through? Uh, i got a question from uh, George Rosser. Which is oh, big, he's back. Big George. Big the OG Fulhamish fan. The OG Fulhamish fan, George Rosser. I'm fully slavin, and after two years of turning things around, I believe we should get up to and include the January transfer window to turn things around. If it was to be sacked after poor results against Bournemouth and Huddersfield, who would be the most suitable replacement at the moment? Would Montella be the best for us right now after his experience in Italy? Typically known for being so specialist in defence, which should benefit us the most right now. Um, God, it's a question that I almost don't really want to ponder, but I guess if we're asked the question, we kind of have to answer it. Uh, Montella would probably be as good a shout as any. As long as he's not as bad as he was at Sevilla, it'd be alright. I hope he doesn't go down the desperate route of trying to find, I don't know, a, a big Sam or an Alan Pardew or a David Moyes, which I don't think that the Khans would do, but, you know, relegation threats do do strange things to owners. Bring in Alpha had brought in Sanchez. Yeah. After all. It's one of these strange, save us. It's one of these strange things where if they're going to be looking... So... It's like Khan said about getting going up. It's like it doesn't really make the, the the prize money for getting to the Premier League didn't wasn't really going to make a sort of a material impact to him personally. So in terms of he's, he's ready to sort of bankroll success and get us back up. So I wonder how concerned he would be about going down and then coming back up. Probably a lot, and I'm probably I'm completely wrong on this. But it, obviously, if they are terrified of relegation, then the chances are they're going to pull in the tried and trusted old guard. But if he's more concerned about building. You know, a, a bit of a dynasty and a bit of a, a bit of a legend here, and he's committed to like good football. Then he's probably not going to go for somebody. If he got rid of Slav, he's not going to go for somebody with similar footballing ideals because otherwise he'll just stick with Slav. We've kind of seen in the Premier League that the whole getting a fireman for the last six months to keep you up, a la Big Sam, and then try and adapt your style and, and get a, a long-term manager in in the summer is always very, very difficult. And you, know, also, you, look, you look at Crystal Palace, they I think they stayed up with Big Sam then brought in Frank De Boer. Yeah, but Slav is that long-term option. Yeah. If you're not, either Slav's that manager you'd bring in to build a long-lasting dynasty, which in what football now is probably a year. So, <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think yeah, there's no, there's no point to start thinking who can we bring in because... Yeah. Slav's built such a philosophy within the club that you bring someone polar opposite, which Vincenzo Montella in his managerial style is. He's, he's come from, if you look at his time at Fiorentina, his, his relatively poor time at Milan and Sevilla, the, the football that Slav plays is nothing, nothing like what Montella plays. So it's, it's trying to f- find someone, and as you said, Drew, if you bring someone in the same, it's, it's pointless because otherwise you should have stood with the manager in the first place. But then if you, bring, if you bring in this person who's polar opposite, then it's going to take even longer for these players then to adapt to him. So I think you've got to, st- I think you've got to leave Slav to the end of the season, personally. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I spoke about it earlier. I, I don't see the value in getting rid of Slavisa now. Um, I think even if we get relegated, I think we've got to stick by him. Um, he's, got, he's now got proven pedigree in promoting teams. Uh, he's done a wonderful job with Fulham. I've got a feeling he'll he'll hang on to the be- he'll hang on to the, some of the better players as well. I can't see it though. If if we've got ten games to go and we're in proper relegation trouble, like if we're in the relegation zone, the Cans will change it. The Cans will hundred percent change it because they cannot risk going to the back to the Championship. Well, let's, Pep, let's, Pep might be available, and then I might change my <laughs> well, yeah, change maybe. my mind. Let's revisit it at twenty eight games. Like we're nine games in. Yeah, and I think that's probably. Yeah. I think that's what's not sitting right with me is that we're not they say don't look at the table until 10 games have passed so let's give it 
you know, let's give it a bit of time. Like, I don't think there's any need for any sort of knee-jerk reactions. The, the only thing there is a need for is getting it right on the pitch, and I think we'll do that. Well, unless you're, yeah, unless you're like, what, 10 points adrift or something ridiculous like that, I think there's no point looking or even analysing league table in any division, really, till about Christmas time. Mm. I've I said, said this in the Championship. The Championship table does not matter until January. Exactly. We're in there on goal <laughs> difference, like... It's so early, and days. also there's two there's two teams who've been worse than us who probably aren't calling to be second their manager. Yeah, we've not even gone trick or treating yet, guys. and we and, we'd, and we're the promoted side out of those three teams. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's a bit of a mad thing to bring up, but I, I do see George's point. And he was very much saying Slavin, but it was just interested to see oh, who we yeah. say. So I do respect the question. What else is coming in on the questions? Uh, Richard Bamba often sends a lot of questions. La 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 Bamba. Yeah. The goalkeeper situation, what's our thoughts? Time to drop bets. Obviously, Fabry, stories of him wanting to go to, uh, was it, where's he back to? Fish Bishik us. And also, goal, the goalkeeper coach who joined a month ago, but completely under the radar, didn't get announced whatsoever. He's just, I know he's got a staff page on Fulham, but there's no announcement about it. I think it's come to a stage where, for me personally, the goalkeeper situation has started to be questioned. Just because Bettinelli is letting in more than he's saving, and I think that's I think that's a huge problem. I agree, but I can't think of a solution apart from just you know it's it's not Sergio like Rico. yeah well apart from the fact that we just changed to another keeper, but I I feel like we're going over the same things with with uh, bets and butts from from last seat from the last two seasons that. You know they're they're all equally capable here, but I think we're just papering over the cracks if we just if yeah, we I just mean, change the keeper. I know everyone's oh Rico's a European Cup winning goalkeeper, but did you see him last season for Sevilla? He was terrible. I'm convinced that Betts is only keeping Bettinelli. Sorry, is only keeping uh, the number one spot warm for Rico for better or for worse. I'm I'm convinced that's what's happening. He's being groomed. Surely, uh, <laughs> surely Ooh. Sergio Rico would have learnt clear. Um, yeah, my mine. ball <laughs> by now <laughs> I, it, I, it's just yes I know he's as I said he's right but he did make a lot of mistakes last year a lot of mistakes which you'd be we'd be crucified for in this team and Bettinelli's has somehow got not been criticised as much as he should after Saturday <laughs> literally like everything has been being sent from last year like every time Betts has a bat or something you know not quite right happens with his performance over the past couple of years like he doesn't get that criticism that the other like full and throw and throw exactly exactly i mean it, the hypocrisy of it all they are all obviously capable keepers and you know ones get more criticism than others we know we exactly know why but again it's not like we have david de on the bench wait ready and waiting better. <laughs> yeah you know. Sergio no i think it's no reason to drop. Well, the third goal was Bettinelli's fault. It distribution, though, I think, is the most worrying thing, rather than necessarily the shot stopping. I don't know what he could have done about goal. Everyone's saying the first goal, but there's a deflection on it, which uh, which I'm, we all I'm, just. I'm, to be fair, I, do, I think shot stopping is more of a worry because he is, if he's not making enough saves, if, if that I don't I know that's sort of what a goalkeeper needs to do, but I know we've conceded loads of goals in the last few games, but I feel like I do see him in in the championship. He was a great shot stopper. I'll give him that. He made a lot of good saves for us last season, see especially the one that leads at home. But this season, I feel like he's making less saves and shots going past him. Like against Arsenal, I think he only had shit six shots on target. So it's it's getting. I'm not saying he needs to be dropped. I'm not saying that, but it's getting to the point where there are serious questions that need to be asked when it comes to the goalkeeper. 
Bets v uh, Rico is obviously the uh, the new debate for our times. Uh, what else, Dom? Yeah, we've got a question here from David Manning on Twitter or Roth Ream. Uh, we looked so promising in the first few matches against Palace, Spurs and Burnley and now we appear to be getting worse. What can you put this down to? It is a lack of confidence. I think they're all... They are all... Um, they're it's terrified all piling, to make a mistake. Yeah, it's, it's all piling terrified. on. And I think, yeah, it, it's all piling on. It's all compounding with each other. I think that, unfortunately, Arsenal was a bit of a bit of a turning point with that because we were absolutely trounced within like 20 minutes in that second half where and all of a sudden they're now terrified of making a mistake and losing another game and I think it really showed on uh, on Saturday against Cardiff that even just the simplest things seemed a lot harder than we ever have done recently and it kind of goes back to I thought it Related to back when we had Martin Yol in that season, we got relegated. And I'm not suggesting we are definitely are going to get relegated. But, you know, we weren't playing that badly for the first five or six games. And then it just got worse and worse. And it, it was that it was a West Ham away game where yeah. we were just absolutely diabolical. And it was even, again, just the simplest thing seemed really, way more difficult than it should have been. And it is kind of similar to that. But I think the potential in this team is is actually really good. I do think it's going to come good. You know, we do need that first win and I think we are going to get on a roll, hopefully. You, 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 I was wondering about this Arsenal game, you know, when it gets to the international break and you get in a bit of a pummeling and you think, thank God we've got a bit of a break. But then I'm also thinking, okay, well, that's their lasting memory. That's going to linger and that's going to fester over the international break. I was thinking about this today. I'm actually like, I can't wait for Bournemouth on Saturday. I just want to get Cardiff, just out, get it, out, yeah. Yeah, get Cardiff out of my mind and push on to the next exactly. game. Exactly, and they're terrified of making mistakes. But then you think, you know, if you're catastrophizing and think that the worst is going to happen and the worst does happen and you realise actually okay it's not as bad as I was you know thinking it was going to be hopefully now they're going to turn around and say okay look we lost to Cardiff that was the dreadful result that we were hoping to avoid you know uh, losing to the team that scored four goals all season oh look at that they scored four in one game you know could it got any worse well let's see what happens let's now just turn around and put it right against Bournemouth because it can't get you know any worse than what we, we were thinking it would well without wanting to hijack Dom's question section that was exactly what Nathan Vince asked um, said could the Cardiff game be reminiscent of Sunderland away last year in the way that this is the real eye opener for the team that they must simply step up and currently aren't good enough I worry that this isn't the Nadir I worry that there is worse to come I really really do I don't I just I could see last year that Fulham had the quality to do well in the championship and things weren't going right. At the moment, I'm not 100% sure that this team has it in them to to pick themselves up. That's my, well, that's my worry. You know, like, we, unfortunately, unfortunately for us, we don't have Barnsley at home next week after losing to Sunderland away. We've got Bournemouth at home, who are an incredibly capable team. That's well. the thing. What they like seventh in the table or something? Yeah. Yes, you know, well, you it, don't get six. If you don't get um, a good amount of points from Bournemouth and Huddersfield, then we're away to Anfield. We'll yeah. win that, mate. Well, yeah, obviously, so it's uh, absolutely <laughs> one goal again. Points. Yeah, but that is the problem. Like that last year, where that Sunderland game, the run of six games after that was Barnsley twice, Burton. Um, Seem to think Ipswich was in Cardiff, there as well. Cardiff away well, was Cardiff in there. was in there, wasn't it? But there was a lot. There's just so many easier games yeah. in the Championship, and at the Premier League, they come thick and fast, and it's unrelenting if you can't turn the the tide around. I'd love nothing more than to demolish Burnley three 0 on Saturday and, and shut everyone up. But Bournemouth, Ooh, Bournemouth. <laughs> what did I just say? Burnley. Burnley. Oh well. Burnley or Bournemouth, bring them on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it on Thursday, but Bournemouth is a is a huge, huge game. 
uh, with all of the perspective that we've already urged, you know, it's early days, but that's not, you know, it, the fixtures after Burnley and uh, Bournemouth, I'm doing it now, Bournemouth, hey. and, <laughs> Bournemouth and Huddersfield, it, after that, it gets really difficult and you don't want to be hitting 15 games in the zone with a gap. So it's it's massive. Lastly, we've got a question from Kevin Jones, Kevin Eaton, Wick. Have Fulham the right level of fitness for the Premier League? Too many second half collapses. It is an interesting one because last year we were so quick to praise Fulham's fitness all the time and we thought it was a reason why in the second half we'd basically just pass teams into submission and whilst that teams could keep up a press for the first 45 minutes, even you know into 60 minutes, eventually teams just fell away and started making individual mistakes in the last half an hour and it often led to Fulham w- winning games through that method. Even teams like Wolves and, and Aston Villa, you saw that teams just generally got so tired because they couldn't cope with playing Fulham systems. So the, the reason that there have been so many second half collapses are, well, I can't quite get my head around it. Is it the fact that we're pressing, but the teams have just got too much quality and they're getting around our press and therefore it's far more exhausting for the players, whereas before those presses high up the pitch generally used to yield success in, in, in the championship? I don't know. I remember the Spurs away just watching... It was my first game of this season and just being blown away by just how fast the Premier League was. It's sped up so much even since the last time that we were here. So I think there's definitely something in that. Um, and obviously the fact that we're so vulnerable on the counter, could, could we be getting back faster? Is it a legs thing? I think there's definitely uh, legs, excuse the pun, in, in that argument. Uh, you know, Slab's not going to be doing... He's going to be still instilling that uh, that sort of you need to be you need to be fit to play in my team but what what if it's not enough I don't know yeah I've got to agree with that you know like we talked we spoke about at the start of the season how you know we're now not playing uh, teams regularly where you know there's difference in between the, the training grounds you know if you watch that all or nothing documentary it was, it was staggering how much science there was involved in just in fitness and you know even down to like injury they've got a freaking cryogenic chamber for crying out loud i mean it's <laughs> it's it's something it's something amazing and that's just Ma- that's just manchester city they're not just you know they've got a huge budget but so do you know 10 other teams in the in the premier league they've got the got that disposal i know that we are lagging a little bit behind in training grounds although that khan has got the permission to to increase it again and hopefully that would you know bring our fitness up a bit um but you know Maybe that some of these players that we have at the moment who are championship level have a championship level of fitness or maybe top end championship level of fitness. And what we need is Premier League kind of, you know, we've kind of reached that um, that top level of fitness. And I think it will really show against Brighton on Saturday. It would be interesting to get one of our stats gurus, either George or Nick, to maybe try and see if they can prove or disprove the fitness theory with stats, because it actually might be one of the things that stats could quite quickly prove either way, because you can see how far players are running throughout a game. Are they running less in the second half? Are they running more in the second half? Are they running harder? Are they running more physical? So maybe we'll uh, do a bit of homework with uh, for G- George and Nick. You know, those stat shows are bloody good for those things. Mm. It's, uh, it's really interesting. You should really watch them. Right. Well, good work on the questions today, Dom. As he chugs his Lucas aid, he uh, he needs that after a, a hard question session on the podcast. Exactly, get his It's going to do some laps around the studio now. Uh, your last duty, Dom, is to name today's podcast. What are you going for? For the name of this podcast, we're going for a free word review with Cole Matin. Great West fail. 
Great Westvale. Spectacular. That's a lovely three-word review. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, Bournemouth will be travelling up on South Westvale. Hey, very nice. Train, train banter. We all know it's Bournemouth before everybody starts talking about <laughs> Farrell's Brighton gaff earlier, which he did on purpose. <laughs> um, so, uh, thank you very much for listening today. Bit of a tough one. We understand that. I feel like I've been saying that at the end of every podcast at the moment. Hopefully, some good times will be uh, around the corner soon. Fulhamish Extra is definitely going to be around the corner soon. We'll be looking ahead uh, to that Bournemouth game. Uh, we're going to have a little cheeky interview uh, with Michael Brown, ex former. Fulham defensive midfielder Rock uh, in there and we're also uh, going to speak to Tom Greatrix uh, with a little bit of an FST update as well so uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Fulhamish podcast for that I uh, just need to thank my guest Drew Heatley farewell friend Farrell Monk Nostar and Don Betts alright we will see you on Thursday <laughs>